If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 103. If you don't have your Bible or you just prefer uh, reading along, we'll have the uh, verses on the screen. And I love this psalm. And Becky, the songs you chose for this morning go along with this psalm so perfectly because it's really all about how good God is and all the benefits that God bestows upon his people. And so we're only going to get to the first five verses this morning, but let's read it together and then pray. Psalm 103. This is a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, we come to your word this morning to receive what you have for us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to receive. Help us to, to um, add faith to what we hear, that it might explode in life, in revelation in our hearts. We commit this time in your word to you. Do your good work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103, as we read these first verses, it's really important for us to keep in mind who David is talking to. Who's David talking to in these verses? Well, he's not talking to the Lord. This is not a prayer to the Lord. And he's not talking to us either, at least not directly. David is speaking to himself. He's letting us in on a conversation he is having with his soul. He's talking to himself. You know, we all talk to ourselves. Now, I had to Google that to make sure because ever since I was a little kid, I talked to myself. When I was really young, I'd answer myself too. I would literally talk to myself and then answer myself like there's two people. Now I just talk to myself and myself listens. But I had to, I had to Google before I shared that because I thought, what if I'm the only one who does that? And people are on the phone calling the, uh, you know, the, the nearest hospital to get me checked in. But no, people, it's normal for people to talk to themselves. Now, if you're hearing voices in your head, that you might want to get checked out. But it's totally normal to talk to yourself, even out loud at times. And it can be helpful. Talking to ourselves can help us focus. It can motivate us. It can also help us process difficult feelings. But we need to be careful when we talk about to ourselves about what we're saying to ourselves. Because it's easy to get into a rut of negative self-talk. Negative. You can't do it. Don't even try. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. We can get into negative. You're just, you know, 
You're just not doing well. You're no good. You're, not, you're this. You're that. You're inferior. Self-talk can go down negative roads. And also negative self-talk can be a faith killer. Why, why pray about it? God doesn't answer your prayers. Why even bring it to God in prayer? You know God's not answering your prayers. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. If he did love you, why would he allow such and such to happen in your life? So we can begin to kill our faith by what we say to ourselves. And we may not even see that this is happening, but we need to be careful about what our self-talk looks like and sounds like. So I want to encourage you, don't constantly speak negative self-talk to yourself. It's not helpful. It's not healthy. And don't speak negative faith-killing words either about God. God isn't this. God doesn't care about that. God isn't this. God, what? Don't, Don't go into that. See, David is not doing that. David is speaking to his soul, and he's saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. In case you didn't know it, bless the Lord. Praise his name. Speak well of the Lord, oh my soul. And don't just do it half-heartedly, but all that is within me, from the deepest of our hearts, bless the Lord, speak well of God. And then he says, bless the Lord, and don't forget the benefits that God gives. And we're going to look at who God gives those benefits to in a few moments. But benefit number one, we're going to look at three benefits. I'm going to lump the last few into one benefit. But benefit number one, he says, he forgives all your iniquities. What a benefit that is. Iniquity refers to our sin and our guilt and our shame. And forgiveness is what we need more than anything else. He forgives all your iniquities. But hold up. Who is David talking to? Who is David talking to? Does God forgive everyone's iniquities? Who's included in this benefit? Who is David talking to? I heard somebody say it. Even though David is speaking in the second person, your iniquities, remember, he's still speaking to his soul. He's talking to himself in the second person. He's not speaking outwardly to an audience. He's not speaking directly out to you or to me. He's speaking inwardly to his own soul, reminding his soul that one reason to bless the Lord is that he forgives, soul, all your iniquities. So we've got to ask the question, who can claim this benefit? By itself, this verse doesn't answer that question fully. We can't answer it from this verse fully, whose sins are forgiven. But in the fuller context of the scriptures, we know that Jesus came to give his life in order that we might be forgiven. He paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins. So whose sins are forgiven? Those who 
believe. The benefit of having our sins forgiven is for all who believe. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 3. We're going to pull truth from other parts of Scripture to back this up. Paul writes this, But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, but now apart from the law, sorry, I read that incorrectly, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. How do we receive the forgiveness and all the benefits of the cross? By believing in him to be received by faith. By the way, this is a reminder to us why self-talk is so important because we receive Christ by faith, by believing in him and all he has accomplished, by believing in the benefits of coming in faith to him. If we are saying, no need to come to Jesus, I've sinned too much, or I've gone too far, or I don't even know if he's real, or all those other things, if we're living in that place, we are feeding uh, doubt and unbelief. But when we speak and say, Jesus, I'm coming to you for forgiveness. I'm coming to you in faith. I am coming to you, believing you for the goodness of God over my life. Remember the woman who had a bleeding condition for 12 long years. Every doctor couldn't help her. But what did she say to herself? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. That's that's the kind of faith self-talk. When doubt and unbelief tries to squelch our faith, and it will, we need to fight for self-talk that speaks of the faithfulness and power and goodness of our God. Amen? Amen. Watch what you say to yourself. Romans 3 and many passages say all, all who believe. Not some, all who believe. The benefit is for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I want us to consider the scope of this from several angles, because it's not just all who believe, but it says he forgives all, all your iniquities. Not just some, but all. Not just the sins you have committed in the past. Not just the sins that we are committing right now but all the sins we're going to commit in the future, he has forgiven all our iniquities. All that we have done, are doing, or will do in the future. So we can be assured that the forgiveness of God reaches backwards, reaches to us now, and reaches forward to our final breath. We don't have to fear that some sin we're going to commit is going to derail us and God's going to say, I'm done. I'm done. I've forgiven you 
enough times and you've sinned once too many or one big sin too many. Now that kind of sounds like a blank check, doesn't it? It, it, you know, I can understand somebody being a little concerned and saying, I feel like that's a blank check. Like you're just kind of saying, you know, whatever you do, whatever your future holds, you know, I might as well just send it up because I've got this blank check from God. All my iniquities. And my answer is, it is, in a way, a blank check. But... That black check, blank check will not lead sincere believers to just go forth and sin it up. And let me explain that a little bit. Sometimes a blank check is exactly what love offers. Let me give you an example. How many parents, even in this room, have said to your children, there is nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you? There is nothing you can do. I don't care what you do. I will love you to the day I die. I will always love you. You know what that is? That's a blank check. That's a blank check. We know there are things our child, children could do that would break our hearts, that would grieve us tremendously that would disappoint us, that would hurt their lives and hurt others' lives and hurt us. I'm not saying we're happy with whatever our children do, but we will not stop loving them, no matter what they do. Now, some parent might say, you do this and I want nothing to do with you anymore. You go this far and we're done. And I would say that's, You might get your child to behave. You might get them to do certain things. You probably get them to rebel in big ways later on. But you're motivating them by saying, here's where the end of my love is, and you go beyond that, you ain't got my love anymore. I don't believe that's the way God wants us to parent, and I don't believe that's the way God's heart is. God doesn't say, here's where I I draw the line and forgiveness stops. You, You sin this many times, And I'm done with you. It is kind of a blank check. All our iniquities. But here's why it will never lead a sincere believer to just go out and say, okay, now I can sin it up because I heard what Pastor Allen said this morning. I can just sin it up because God's going to forgive it. Here's why that will never lead a sincere believer to do that. And if you do that, you're not a sincere believer. Because when we believe in Christ, it's not just that we believe in information and yeah, you know, I've got this information about Jesus and I think he died for my sins and so now I'm just going to live it up. When we believe in Christ and God actually comes into our hearts, the Holy Spirit begins to write in our hearts. He gives us a new heart and that new heart doesn't want to sin anymore. We do sin. Amen. That's a little weak. That's when you shout out, amen, and I can shout out, amen. We do still sin, and we blow it a million times, but we don't want to. We're not want, I don't, my dream isn't to go out and sin in this way and sin in that way, and, and that's not my desire. 
My desire, your desire is to honor God with our lives. I walked into a store the other day and there happened to be no attendance out. Totally empty for several minutes. You know what kept me from take, grabbing the stuff I wanted and just running out the front door? <laughs> yeah. Security cameras, the guy there with the... No, yeah, none of that. I, have, I, would, have, I would never want to do that. Like, honestly, you, could, you know, when your heart doesn't want to steal, they don't even need attendance. They don't need cameras. They don't need any of that. You need cameras and cops and, and all that for people who want to steal or who, when given the opportunity to steal, will steal. But when your heart has no desire, I like, you, no, you, you can torture me. I'm not going to steal something. That kind of heart says, I don't want to sin. And when I do sin, I want to come to my Father and confess it to God. I want to walk in the light, not in darkness. And that's a part of the work of the God in our hearts when we believe. And that's why John can say in his epistle, first epistle, uh, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you stop sinning. It means you won't live in a pattern of deep, dark sin constantly because God's seed remains in them. They've been changed. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So when we are born again, God changes our hearts. We don't want to sin against our God. And when we sin, we want to confess it to our heavenly father. And we want to receive forgiveness and cleansing and fellowship again with our heavenly father. So let this sink in. One of the benefits of believing in Christ for you is that all your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. Amen. That is awesome. Benefit number two, he heals all your diseases. Now, what does that mean? God heals all our diseases. Again, remember, David is talking to himself here. But what does it mean that God heals all our diseases? There are some faith teachers who teach, faith healers who teach that it's God's will to immediately heal everyone and all you need is enough faith. If you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. There is a, series, there is a grouping of teaching in that direction. On the opposite end of the spectrum are those who, who don't believe that God still heals miraculously. I believe the biblical answer, I believe that David is writing as a benefit to those who believe that God heals all our diseases. Not some, all. But not in the same way and not in the same time frame for everybody. Sometimes God heals instantly and miraculously. We, we see that many times in the Bible, especially in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He, he is still compassionate towards those who are afflicted and, and sick. So we should pray and believe for healing when we pray over someone who's sick, that God will heal them. And sometimes that healing is, and I've seen it with my eyes, maybe you have too, instant and miraculous. But God also heals through a slower process of improvement. We see an example of that, albeit, albeit a, a short example, when Jesus spit on a blind, blind man's eyes and said, can you see? 
And the blind man replied, I see men, but it's blurry. They're like trees walking around. I, I see, I'm starting to get my sight back, but it's partial. And so Jesus once again laid his hands on this man and his vision cleared up like that. If in Jesus' ministry there could be a process of improvement, then certainly we can experience healing as a process of improvement in our lives. And often this process of healing includes the God-given ability of the body to heal itself. When you become sick, your body goes into action and starts fighting viruses and germs and, and all these things. You break a bone, it starts to heal. We are, God, who put that there? God put that there. God put it in us, in our bodies, to fight sickness. I think David is describing this process of healing in Psalm 42 that we looked at last week when he's on his deathbed. There is a period of time, and it's an extended period of time, that the very one who writes this, he heals all my diseases, wasn't healed. He was on his deathbed. He was sick. And people were laughing over him and mocking him and saying, would you die already? And he says, God, would you graciously heal me? And God graciously healed him over time. He heals all our diseases. By the way, I've got to say this. When we go to the doctor and they give us treatment for our illness or sickness or condition, that's, an, you know, I thank God for doctors. Many of you kindly prayed for me several weeks ago when I uh, came down with Lyme's disease. And I went to the doctor and they gave me antibiotics. And I thank God for the doctor. And I thank God for the antibiotics. But I also thank God for his healing touch. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Finally, I need to say this. We live in a fallen world. And sometimes sickness and infirmities can be chronic. And they can last a lifetime. And there are those who believe in the Lord who leave this world without ever having received a physical healing. They can live their entire life in that chronic place. Or an illness can claim someone's life even as they and others are asking God for healing. I think we've all probably seen that. This is where the faith, the extreme faith, I, I, I have faith, I believe in faith, I believe in praying for the sick, but this is where that extreme teaching, you know what it lacks in those moments? Compassion. If you just had enough faith, it's cruel. The heart of God is to show compassion to those who are sick. How do we understand this verse in those cases? When a believer leaves this earth, maybe having suffered illness for a short time that leads to death, or maybe all their life, and then they leave this earth. How do we understand this verse? I would say this verse explodes in technicolor in that case. Because for the believer, they experience the ultimate healing in that moment. They experience the absolute freedom from this body of sickness and weakness and infirmity. 
and they are suddenly full of life and vigor and joy and no sickness, no infirmity, no disfigurement, no nothing except perfection. And don't tell me, well, they didn't experience, this life is a vapor. It's a vapor. If you live to be 101, you've lived five minutes. And so if you have to wait five minutes for that perfect healing, trust me, when you receive that perfect healing, you're not going to look back and say, I wish I'd had it 60 years earlier. He heals ultimately and for eternity all our diseases. Benefit number three. He redeems your life from the grave. He crowns you with love and compassion, and he satisfies you with gold. I'm getting that uh, with good, maybe gold too. Uh, He hasn't satisfied me with a lot of gold, but a lot of good. Uh, Verses four and five, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I love this. It just means God is generous in giving good things to his children. He loves, God's not stingy. He loves to pour out and save us. He redeems our life that from the pit. That word pit refers to the grave or to corruption. But it's not just death. It's life can go into corruption where it rots and it, it becomes decayed. And a, a person can be, you know, in their 20s and have a decayed life or decayed dreams, or decayed goals and corruption. David writes, he redeems our life from the pit. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before he knew about Jesus Christ coming to save us. But he knew that God was his redeemer who would buy back his life from corruption, from decay, and for good things. God puts a crown. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. A crown, it destines us for royalty, for reigning and ruling in life. And God weaves that crown out of two deeply embedded attributes of God himself. Love and mercy. Love and compassion. And he weaves that crown out of those two beautiful attributes of himself, and he puts that crown on our head. And what does that mean? Does it mean he gives us the love and compassion, or we walk in that? It says it's both. We live in the waterfall of God's love and compassion over us, just falling upon us because we believe in Christ. But then we also give that which we've received and we can give others love and compassion and mercy. And that's the way to life, an abundant life and a meaningful life and a life that you come to the end, you don't regret your life. It doesn't, you don't live in this place of empty futility, but it's life in technicolor. On vacation last year, we were in North Carolina. We were in one of these like amazing old stores that had all old furniture and old this and old that and refinished. And it's just an amazing place. I'm walking around and I see a bookshelf of books and I see a book that catches my eye. And it's, called, it's a big, thick, fat book. It's called The Life and Death of Adolf Hitler. And it was like seven bucks. 
So I walk up to the front and I buy that book uh, because I've always been fascinated by World War II and Adolf Hitler. And um, so I'll take that book with me when Janice and I go to the beach and she's always embarrassed. <laughs> when I pull that book out, she's like, somebody's gonna see you reading that book. It's history. And also she refuses to carry the beach bag when that book's in it because it weighs about 20 pounds. <laughs> But I'm fascinated, in a way, by the dark and devilish hold Satan had on Hitler and that through Hitler he had on so many of the German people. Hitler is the epitome of a life that ends up in the pit. Corruption, death, evil are the fruits of his life. You know what Satan crowned Hitler with for a short period of time is power, authority but not one smidgen of mercy, not one smidgen of compassion or love. And so when we look at the horrors of the Holocaust and World War II, they are visually horrifying, emotionally horrifying. But I submit to you, you'd be better to be in the pile of those whom he and others alongside of him executed than to be in his shoes. Because his soul has ended up on the junk pile of history. Corrupted, decayed, rotted. And that's how his soul will face God one day. And be judged. The pit. The pit. And it will end with an eternity spent in hell. I'm convinced of it. That's his legacy because he did the will of his father, the devil, who Jesus says was a murderer from the beginning and a liar from the beginning. But in Christ, God our Father calls us to life. A life crowned, not with power and authority, which are also God's attributes, but he weaves a crown of love and mercy. And he puts it on our heads. He redeems us from the pit through Jesus Christ. And he empowers us to live a life both receiving God's love and giving God's love. Receiving God's mercy and giving God's mercy. And God satisfies our souls. We live in a place where he satisfies us with good. And one day, as we breathe our last, ah, oh, to know we will be in his presence forever. It's good, amen? It's good. That's good. That's good. That's life. These are just some of the benefits of believing God. God's portion to us, and I want to invite the band to come back up now. God's portion to us is forgiveness and healing and a life filled with goodness and love and compassion. And all of this is in Christ for those who believe in him. Now, I just want to say, if you, someone in this room or someone maybe watching online, have never believed in Jesus Christ, I just want to invite you right now. Put down the opposition. Put down the objections and receive Christ, believe in him. 
I urge you to do it because the benefits, the benefits are beyond description. Let's pray together. Father, what I love about Psalm 103 is how it reveals your heart. And we've only just begun. Lord, help us to leave here assured of the goodness of our God and the benefits of believing in you and walking with you. I pray for anyone who maybe has never made that that decision to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, you'll cut through all the red tape and all the objections and all the other things that are really empty and just bring them to a place where like, Lord, I want you. I need you. Come into my life. Be my savior. Forgive me of my sins. Be my portion. Do that in their heart, Lord. I pray for that person who's here, who is a believer, who's discouraged, discouraged, barely hanging on. And I pray that, Lord, they will have a glimpse of how much you love them and how faithful you will be and have been to them and all the goodness you have in store for their life. For that person living in condemnation, that they would live in the freedom of knowing all their iniquity has been forgiven. Let us leave here so aware of our great and good God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.